This is Soccer City. Soccer for a one- or two-year-old? Well, there's a grassroots program here in New York City that teaches soccer skills in a fun, non-competitive, educational environment. We'll meet the directors of that program later. On the professional side, it's the MLS playoffs and New York City FC down a road goal on aggregate, heading to Atlanta for the second leg of the Eastern Conference semifinals. You'll hear from City First Teamers Alex Ring and Sean Johnson, plus head coach Dome Tarant. One of the great rivalries in all of soccer is renewed this weekend. Not El Clasico, but Super Clasico, and it's happening in the Copa Libertadores final. Argentinian arch enemies, River Plate versus Boca Juniors. Wrote Robert Kidd in a recent edition of Forbes, quote, This is Barcelona playing Real Madrid in the Champions League final. The New York Yankees against the Boston Red Sox in the World Series. Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier for the heavyweight title. Boca against River is a level of rivalry that goes beyond soccer. Well, with that, I want to welcome back to Soccer City an Argentinian who currently writes for Football MLS and is also a color commentator for the Spanish broadcast of New York City FC on Watto. He's Ariel Hudas. Hey, Ariel. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I, I'm good. Do you uh, share some of the thoughts that uh, Robert Kidd presented to us in that article? Does he have that right? Yes. There's a, a, a huge amount of uh, passion, craziness, and religion, and religious feeling uh, around these two big teams, the largest teams in Argentina, and probably two, uh, two of the three, four largest in, in whole Latin America. Well, I mean, the, the, the history is so long. Now, so they first met in 1913, and they've met on 245 occasions since. Yeah. And it's been really close. Boca, 77 wins, River, 69 victories. But this is the first time in a Copa Libertadores final. So I, I'm just wondering, is that going to provide some extra juice? Not that it needs it. Uh, no, you don't need anything else. I mean, if you just announce a final like this one, between Boca and River, especially if it's a Copa Libertadores final, everything is is, is prepared, is set for for a big party uh, in in Argentine soccer. You know, uh, Ariel, I think rivalries are often linked to class. Now, in this case, yeah. the working class Boca versus the bourgeois River is is that an accurate portrayal? It was like that a hundred and ten years ago. Things have changed so much. It's, they are so popular and so big clubs that nowadays is a mixture of everything. You have very wealthy people rooting for Boca. Actually, the the president of Argentina right now, who was a former Boca Juniors club president, uh, is one of the wealthiest men in, 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 in South America. And River Plate, who is so, uh, usually referred as millionaires, the, 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 los millonarios, that's the, the nickname they have, <laughs> don't always uh, reflect that nickname, that which is pretty per- perfect and normal. I mean, uh, these are clubs with uh, 115 years of history. So what was then is not now, and that's okay. That's fine. Well, a- Ariel, I want to talk about the home stadiums. The yeah. final is two legs, yeah. so we get a taste of both. So uh, first up, uh, Saturday, November the 10th, La Bombonero, which translated yeah. to English means the chocolate box. Tell us why. Yeah. It's called La Bombonera, the chocolate box, because it's, it has a, a kind of a square 
feeling about it. Boca Juniors Stadium is more like what Arsenal old stadium used to be. Um, it's a, a stadium with very steep stands, really steep stands. I mean, if you go to the highest part of the stadium, it's a kind of a, a strange situation watching the game because you're most uh, almost uh, watching your feet and the players behind your feet uh, while, while they are playing. It's a very, very strange, a very extreme situation. Um, it was it was built like that. It was meant to be a very uh, hot stadium in, in Argentina and in South America, and it really is. And you should see it before they tear it down. There's no confirmation about the new stadium, but eventually both Boca and River will have new stadiums and what right now are maybe uh, one of the most authentic places to, to watch a soccer game will change and we will have the newer stadiums that more or less look the same in Europe, in North America and in South America. Well, these two are something else. I mean, they are very, very special. Similar, I would say, to what uh, England and Spain and Italy used to have 50 years ago, maybe. Have you been in both buildings for games? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. The the chocolate yes. box. So I've read where the building shakes, you know, yes. when, when, when the place gets excited. Yes, and you can see that, especially in this competition in Copa Libertadores, where people, uh, the, the Boca fans get so geared up that they're, they make the, the stadium shake because they're jumping and chanting, uh, not throughout the game, two hours before and two hours after the game. So that's the, the, the craziness of, of, of this place and how they feel and they um, uh, want to be part of what Boca brings to Copa Libertadores. All right, so the second leg will be at the home of River, which is El, help me out with the pronunciation. El Monumental. All right, and, uh, and they have supporters called, is this correct, Barrachos del Tablon, drunks yes. on the terrace? Yes, <laughs> so what's it like there? <laughs> it's pretty similar. Of course, they never uh, agree that uh, Boca fans, Boca Ultras, and River Ultras look more or less the same or act more or less the same. Of course, they, they cannot accept that. Well, Ariel, you know what, what creates the atmosphere of these games sometimes in all sports is the away supporters. Now, is it, it's the first season in five years that uh, road supporters have been allowed to attend matches in the Argentine Superliga. Yeah. However, River Plate and Boca are two clubs that are not part of this, well, I guess it's referred to as a trial. So my question is, will there not be away supporters at either venue for the Copa Libertadores final, the two legs? You're right. The presidents of both clubs have asked and the local authorities have obliged, have agreed to that, uh, to not have uh, away supporters. Of course, it would be so much better. And when I used to uh, start attending soccer games in, in Buenos Aires, in my hometown, um, everybody had away supporters, even the smallest teams, and that was okay. But violence in, in Argentine soccer uh, is, is, is big, so they have to take care of uh, uh, or not allow uh, any chances of uh, having a, a major issue, especially in, in in these kind of games that are so 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 um, uh, popular and and in the conversation of everybody over there, you, you have to keep in mind that Argentina and Uruguay and Colombia and Chile and Brazil work different 
from what we used to see here and feel here. Even the Argentine president is talking about this game. Even the whole uh, scenario media-wise is talking about this game uh, and we'll keep on talking about this game forever because it's, there's no return from this game. I mean, there's nothing better than this game. There's nothing worse than this game. Whoever loses, because this is the, 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 the reality, one will be the champion of Copa Libertadores, the other one will be the second one, but will be seen as the loser, will never recover from that because you cannot lose. It's so, so dramatic, Argentine soccer, that you cannot lose against your major rival or enemy. So I don't know what would happen after the, 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 the second final because it's, it's a scenario that we have never seen before. We have never seen Boca and River play in a final, let alone play in a final of Copa Libertadores. It's really uh, uncharted territory for, for, for fans in Argentina, for the government in Argentina, for the clubs in Argentina. So we'll see. How is it that over all those years they've never met uh, in a Libertadores final or any final? That sounds astonishing. It's astonishing, but uh, Argentine soccer... Uh, find the champion using the European system. So um, if you won a league, you win a league because you get or you have more points than your rival. So there will never, never be a final in the league. Uh, we never have a Copa like FA Cup until uh, two or three years ago. So that we could have a final in that, in that competition, but so far... It didn't happen. They went to semifinals, but not a final final. So, yeah, we need to see. I mean, this is brand new for everybody. And uh, as I tell you, there's nothing higher or better than Copa Libertadores in South America. So it's, it's a crazy situation. It's crazy for everybody. And uh, we're all expecting, waiting to see what, what happens on the field, on the pitch, and outside the pitch. Well, you know, Ariel, uh, Ray Hudson was a, a past guest on the program. Yeah. Everybody knows him as the passionate commentator on being sports, most noted for his uh, calls of El Clasico, Real Madrid-Barcelona. Yeah. But I was a bit surprised, that I want you to listen, when he revealed his favorite competition. The Copa Libertadores, for me, is the greatest competition in the world. People think I'm crazy. That's okay. I'll be with those people at the end of that bar watching uh, Libertadores. It's the sawdust on the, foot, on the, on the floor football uh, with the most passionate fans, and it's authentic passion um, of, of the, the people in the stands. And the Latino football has always been something. I was always criticized when I was in my playing days for being too South American, uh, which was the biggest compliment I ever received. <laughs> From a Scotsman and a former Newcastle footballer where the style was anything but playing on the ground. Ariel, is your favorite competition as well? You, you watch a lot of soccer, you watch a lot of leagues, you watch a lot of competitions. What do you think? Yeah, Copa Libertadores is the best for me. It's, uh, it's better for me than any World Cup, any European League. Uh, I, of course, I watch European competition. I watch European leagues. I had my favorite teams. Um, I like Champions League. Of course, I like MLS. I love MLS. But Copa Libertadores is different because I, I love and hate teams that, that are over there in Copa Libertadores. I love Flamengo. I don't like so much other teams in Brazil. I love Peñarol, and I don't like any other teams in Uruguay. 
Of course, I have my team in Argentina, which is Vélez. Vélez won many, many years ago Copa Libertadores. That was the best moment in my life as a fan. So it's different. It's something else. I mean, I cannot uh, compare anything to Copa Libertadores. Well, he writes for football MLS, uh, uh, also radio commentator for the New York City FC games on Wado Ariel Hudis. Uh, Ariel, thank you for sharing your thoughts on this, and I'll uh, see you in Atlanta. Yeah, sure, Dan. Thank you very much. All right, Atlanta bound. WNYE will be there for the live broadcast from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the second leg of the Eastern Conference semifinal playoff series between New York City and Atlanta United. City suffered just their second loss at home this season in the first leg. Argentinian Eric Rometty scoring his first MLS goal. Atlanta United prevailed on Sunday night, one to nothing. And it was a spectacular save by goalkeeper Sean Johnson on Greg Garza that prevented a second away goal for the five stripes, which gives New York City hope that they can still advance in the conference finals. Given our position now going into Atlanta, Atlanta is going to be a final. You know, we win. At the end of the day, we give ourselves a chance. If it's one goal, um, if we score two, um, it's going to be it's going to be a fight. So um, we just have to treat it like that, and uh, it's going to be exciting game. I think we should have to come prepared again. Um, you know, we would love to score a goal at home, obviously, but not conceding the second after uh, conceding one uh, one off of the set piece, I think is important for us. Well, uh, for total goals in the two games of the series, that's the way it's added up for Sean Johnson in New York City. With road goals counting double, for instance, if City wins 2-1 in Atlanta, they move on in the playoffs as it would be 2-2 on aggregate, but City would have the two road goals versus one away goal for Atlanta. So the formula is simple, defeat the five stripes, and the worst case scenario is overtime, maybe penalties. City head coach Dome Tehran. Uh, we, we don't need uh, to win 2-0, 3-0, 4-1, no, no. We need to win. If uh, we win at least 1-0, it's extra time. But if you score two, you are in the final. It's simple like that. We, ha- we have chances to to win in Atlanta, why not? Why not? Uh, we have a, they have a good team, but uh, New York City as well. The largest question now may be road performance. New York City, only four of 17 matches won away from Yankee Stadium in the regular year, equaling a franchise low. A reminder that irks one of the leaders by example in the group, MLS All-Star midfielder Alex Ring. I mean, uh, if, you're, if you're not ready and you, you have a mental blockage in the playoffs because you're playing away, then you're playing the wrong sports. So. All right, Ring has a fond memory of the regular season match in Atlanta. His first career goal for City, a galazzo from outside the penalty area, it was a late equalizer in a 2-2 draw. So expecting a, a raucous environment at Mercedes-Benz where the five stripes drew a record 53,000 fans per match with 70,000-plus expected on Sunday. A couple of notes here. Atlanta coach Tata Martino has already announced that this will be his final season as head coach with speculation that he'll be moving on to a national team position with either Mexico, Colombia, or his native Argentina. Uh, Is that added motivation for the home side? Well, also, there's a lot of conjecture that Paraguayan midfielder Miguel Almaron, one of the league's most exciting players, will transfer this winter. On the city side, if the season ends on Sunday, has Captain David Villa played his final match in New York City Blue? Villa at the end of contract, 
And at 36 years old, there has been speculation that he may retire, which leads me to a Mark Twain quote that I saw this week. And I tagged in a tweet both via and a former player of mine at Rutgers University, two-time FIFA World Player of the Year, Carly Lloyd. They're both 36 years old and both still playing at a high level. The quote, age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Throughout the first season of Soccer City, we've often focused on local soccer programs and their positive impact on their communities. We've got another one for you to ponder. Super Soccer Stars, billed as America's most popular grassroots soccer program. Adam Geisler, a veteran sports marketing leader, recently named CEO of Super Soccer Stars, previously with Everlast, Mission, and Authentic Brands Group. A graduate of the George Washington University, he majored in exercise science. Dean Simpson is the chief programs officer. He's been working on Super Soccer Stars for 12 years, experienced in coaching, sports psychology, player development, sports management, got a sports management degree from the University of Wales, Cardiff, a community coach also in Cardiff. Well, first thing I have to ask you, Dean, are you a Cardiff City supporter? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I'm a long-term uh, fan and also um, love my Liverpool as well from the 80s. Ian Rush in the Ian Rush era. Um, got to grow up and get to see him play and along with John Barnes when Liverpool was such a great team. Um, well, you must have struggled when Liverpool met Cardiff City earlier in the year. I, it was, yeah, it was a very torn in between uh, both teams deciding which one. But at that day, I won on both ends because uh, I got a good friend well, as well that works at Liverpool. So I have still a strong connection with the club. You know, uh, Cardiff most recently uh, lauded and complimented for how they dealt with this uh, Leicester match uh, yes. over the weekend. Uh, the first league match for Leicester since the tragic death of their chairman in that helicopter accident. Did, did you watch that at all? I did, yeah. Um, a lot of my family members are, are big, big Cardiff fans, and they go to all the games, so I know my nephew is there as well. Um, I had a chance to speak with him. He said um, it was such a great atmosphere, and the Cardiff Bluebirds, as they like to call themselves, um, were, were great, great on that day, and so much passion, so much desire. Um, it was a t- tough game, tough day. But um, you could see the soccer came through in the end, and I know that everyone was rallying behind the Leicester fans. Adam, you've been quoted as saying, our vision is to become the largest youth sports recreation and educational platform through deliberate play. So what does that mean, deliberate play? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, Deliberate play is when the, we have our children who are focusing on the fundamentals while having fun. You know, the biggest kind of point of difference that we're seeing in, in today's youth sports is parents believe to have the next... LeBron James, Tiger Woods, whatever it may be, that they need to make a decision, a deliberate decision for their kids to practice and have fundamentals and choose a sport at as, as young as the age of four or five. And we have the complete opposite mindset. We want, and what Dean and our team has built over the last 18 years, we want kids to have fun, to enjoy it, and not even realize they're learning the fundamentals of soccer. If they enjoy the sport at an early age, we found that the retention, not only in the sport of soccer, but in other sports, is much greater and the ability to be a much stronger athlete in person and stick with that sport uh, is much greater. I, you probably have both seen the uh, retention statistics, you know, which is going in, a, in the wrong way, the wrong direction right now. That's something that I'm sure resonates with uh, how you want to develop this program, Dean. Yeah, it certainly does. And, you know, we're living in the YouTube generation era. 
Um, and it has been a challenge. And I think what we're trying to do here at Super Sock Stars is introduce the fundamentals, as Adam said, um, to the children at such a young age that we capture the imagination and we really focus on fun. And since my time there, I've seen those participation numbers increase over time. And we really look to kind of embed ourselves into after-school programs. I would imagine what develops after school becomes important as well, because that's the time where kids maybe tend to get in trouble or they're not quite sure what to do, uh, both parents working. So uh, tell us a little bit about the, the after-school portion. We try to promote a healthy lifestyle for children. Um, and we try to do it through fun play and in, in the edu- educational world of soccer. Um, so what we do is we go into after-school programs. We, we offer the, the opportunity for coaches to work hours between the times of three to, three to five, uh, they go in and use the gymnasiums there where the teachers get to drop off the children and then the parents come and collect them at the end of school and it's at the end of the after-school program. The big part that we're looking at is the psychological and social component. So that's the two areas we'd focus on with the coach. So we wouldn't necessarily break down the tactical or the technical um, because we're working with three, four, five and six-year-olds. It's very much of being in tune with uh, the emotional state of a child. So we really hone in on those two aspects. Um, so our trainings are based upon class management, behavioral management, um, things like that, and techniques we can use to really connect with the child. So Adam, uh, what's intriguing, I think, about the program is the age group. I see 12 months yes. to eight years. Yes. And I don't know if you, uh, either of you are familiar with a gentleman named Tom Beyer, but he's someone I've connected with uh, over the last year. He's written a book called Soccer Starts at Home. He's done most of his work in, uh, in Tokyo. But he, he caters to the six and under. And the parents become a very vital part of that. So is there, is there parental involvement that's, that's necessary through this process? Obviously, they got to get the kids to your program. But beyond that? Yes, particularly with our youngest age group, uh, kick and play program, uh, 12 to 24 months. It's parent involvement. It's instructional play. Um, it's interactive play. So we have these puppets called Mimi and Pepe that come to life in the class. And uh, they're physical puppets that the coaches will do the demonstrations with the mini soccer balls with. And the kids get very drawn <laughs> and attached I to would, these puppets. I, you want to be would, involved, I, right? I would, I, well, I, I want to be the student. Yeah, you'd love Mimi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mimi and Pepe are fantastic. <laughs> these characters, and we have songs that we sing. We do circle time. Um, we really focus on the early childhood development. So we look at colors. We, we look at the numbers. Um, we really draw attention to those things. And it's all about upper body movement and lower bo- body movement. And uh, the parents are highly involved. We say, you know, put your cell phones down, put your coffee down, get in, get in uh, touch with your child, build that relationship, and work with our coaches. And I think what's interesting is you think about that for a second. We have... We treat it as a responsibility. We are the first time that a parent really gets to introduce their kid to a sport. And so soccer is this gateway sport, right? We have this, we, we take it as a responsibility to make it fun, engaging, and we have the first touch point with the kid when it comes to sports. And we take that very seriously. So there's real programs, there's real content for 12 to 24, because we get them there and they really start to embrace it. We've got them there for a long time. And that's when you start to talk about this bigger picture of what soccer, our responsibility and role in soccer, really from 12 months to 8 years old. And we even say crib to college. 
because in New York we can take the kid from 12 months all the way up through high school. We're one of the really the only programs that has the ability to do that with real content, real coaches, real programs, and a real opportunity to take these kids to the next level. Now, do you have teams, or is it just training? So it's a, yeah, is we, it a, we have both. Are, are you a club? Yes, so it's called Stars Premier. Um, that's our club, um, and that's in New York. Um, we also have Stars Premier in California, in L.A., in Boston, and in Miami. And I think one of the greatest success stories that we've had, and I've actually seen this happen, is that we've taken our two-year-olds now. Now they're U14, U15 players. And 75% of that group, since they started with us at age two, are competing and they won the U.S. Club National Championship in Colorado. Um, so they're, they're getting some great success. And, and then that, a bulk of that team, all of that team, started when they were two in your program ex- in New York City. Yes. Wow. Yes, 75% of that, the makeup of that squad. What, what about the program? What, what, what's the stimulus to remain on board? I think one of the success stories, why, why we have that success story is because it's down to the personal attention that we give, um, not only to the parents, but also to the players. And they really care about each other. And they want to stick together. They have had opportunities to go elsewhere, but they want to kind of complete this journey. Yeah, one of the things to add, though, is 90% of our kids that end up in travel come through our Super Soccer Stars program. So we're building that feeder system. So right now, you know, we talk about the leagues and the professional leagues and everybody's so focused on U14. The reality is if we focus more on 2 through 8 and we focus on them having a really good experience, their ability to stay in the sport and grow into these travel programs and not lose them to other sports becomes that much greater. And that's where we really think we play a vital role in the growth of soccer in today's in uh, the U.S. market. And in youth sports in general, because that's when you look at the, the scope of youth sports, that's where we see the numbers dwindling. And it's uh, in, in many ways because at the age of six, seven, and eight, they're no longer having fun. Yeah, it so becomes true. too serious. Exactly. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, <laughs> like, we, and I think that's why we hone in, particularly with Super Sox Stars, a non-competitive approach. Um, we have individual attention. We focus on positive reinforcement. We talk about verbal praise versus non-verbal praise, and it's a really big thing that we do within our coaches' training. So verbal praise would be giving very specific feedback and laboring that feedback. And we'd say, we'd let them know that the inside of their foot or the outside of the foot, we'd label the praise. You know, very often you'll find some coaches just, you know, saying that was a good job or just kind of giving general praise. We really focus on specific praise and using names at all times. So we make that true connection. What kind of commitment does a family have to make? You know, travel, you know, getting their kids to places is often a challenge for people in the city. So what is that commitment early on? And how do they go about discovering you? What, what do we do here? Yeah, so the classes run uh, every day of the week. So we run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I think the biggest thing is, listen, we know, we know the mindset of today's parents. You need to be as close to them as possible. So in New York, as an example, we're in 150 locations, operate 150 different locations in New York. So we'll operate. Now, is that mostly schools? So you, you talked about, you know, during the day program. So yeah. are your, uh, do you have relationships with the schools? Do you have to go in and, 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 and figure that out? Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. So schools, churches, parks, wherever, wherever there's a space. And we kind of look at ourselves as, ah, as space. Yes. Right. Yeah, in New, New York, York City. Yeah. You New look York around City. and you go like, well, we could do a little three aside in the <laughs> studio here. Yeah, we could. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and so, listen, it's what we love about soccer is it's very portable. You know, we only need a certain amount of space. We need really good coaches, really good contents, 
balls, cones, and pop-up goals. And then we need kids. But we know we need to provide a service to the parents where they can drop their kids off to an extent, meaning they can hand their kids to us. They don't have to think about it. You know, They know that the good content's there. The kids are going to have a lot of fun. Guys, it was really wonderful to learn more about the program. Yes, Adam? You, 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 have, to do our, you have to hear our song. Like We can't go without hearing our song. Dean's got to lead You're us. You're singing it? Okay. Dean's got to lead sing. us. Yeah. We need this our jazz hands, though. We need our drums, and we need our jazz hands for this. <laughs> Where are the puppets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should bring them in. We should bring them in. So we open up, and we close with a song, and, right. and it goes something like this. We all love to be super soccer stars. Clap, clap. We all love to be super soccer stars. Clap. We all love to play together. We all love to play much better. We all love to be a super soccer star. Clap, clap. You can never touch the ball with your hands. That's where the jazz hands come in. You can never touch the ball with your hands. I'm getting it. What can you do? You can kick it. You can head it. You can chest it. You can knee it. But you never touch the ball with your hands. Super soccer stars. And that's the song. <laughs> All right. Go on supersoccerstars.com. For more information, that'll do it for Soccer City. Our next broadcast, well, it's going to be a party atmosphere in Atlanta. They host NYCFC in an MLS Eastern Conference semifinal on Sunday. Our pregame will begin at 5 p.m. Eastern with Dolme Toronto. Till then, I'm Glenn Crooks, and have a great week of soccer.